Welcome, dear listeners, to a new season of the Through the Banner podcast. To anyone who is joining us for the first time, welcome. Thank you very much for checking us out. Don't forget to follow on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, so you don't miss an upload. See, I sound like a YouTuber already. I told myself I wouldn't sound like a YouTuber this season on the podcast, and I'm doing that already. Subscribe, smash that like button. But I'm so excited to welcome for the first episode, a throwback all the way back to 2020 when he was the first episode in the first season, now the first episode in 2023. Welcome, Liam Webster McAllister. My favorite Collingwood supporter and the only one I pretty much tolerate these days having on the podcast. Mate, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Um, Obviously, 2022 was a year of big surprises um, and hopefully 2023 doesn't fail to live up to the hype that 2022 provided. Just terrible surprises for the most part. Um, But yes, absolutely incredible season and hopefully, hopefully, it's really, really tight this year. Um, so there are a lot of experts saying that upwards of nine teams can win the premiership this season. So hopefully it plays out that way um, in being really, really tight. Basically, this is a preview of the 2023 season. We're going to each start off with the full ladder prediction. Uh, explain our main kind of surprises, if we have any surprises on the predictions, which big finals contenders make it and who don't. Uh, winner Sabooners, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll get into grand final tips and then we get into the individual awards. But let's start off with the ladder prediction. Liam, you can go first. We're we doing it position by position or are we doing a full layout? Uh, well, let's go, let's go kind of a drive by quick kind of full layout from, okay. 18th, from 18th to 1st. All right, so if we're starting from the bottom for me, in that case, um, I think it's going to be West Coast. I think we saw from last year they were pretty abysmal, um, only managed two wins all year against, funnily enough, your team and mine. <laughs> um, and I think any other year that would have been uh, formed to justify a bottom spot. I just think that North Melbourne were absolutely atrocious enough to the point that it saved West Coast from a wooden spoon. But I don't think this year will be the case. I think they will find themselves rock bottom come the end of uh, the year. 17th, I'm expecting a bit of a decline for Hawthorne, funnily enough. Um, I think they've lost Tom Mitchell, obviously a star midfielder, Brownlow medalist. Um, I think it's going to be a tough year for Sam Mitchell with the departure of his namesake. Um, 16th, I'm expecting another underwhelming year from GWS. I just think, you know, they've lost Taranto. There's been a, a lot of movement in and around the club, obviously, with the whole coaching situation as well that happened last year. I think it's going to be probably a year of um, a bit of soul searching, if you like, trying to figure out where the team's heading, figuring out where the future's going for this team. 15th, I'm expecting North. I think it'll be a modest but improvement nonetheless. I think Clarko, obviously, arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. I think it's hard to see them not at least making some improvement. I just think... North Melbourne fans need to not get carried away and understand that this is going to be a project. This is a, a club that's been rock bottom for a, a number of years. A lot of problems that need to be sorted, but I do think we'll see some improvement. Fourteenth, um, I'm going for St Kilda. A bit of a decline based off last year's ladder. I just think, you know, Ross is back, but he's been out of the game for a few years, and we don't really know what to expect from him. So. I think he's 
going to find it potentially a year of adjusting back to how the AFL is. Um, that being said, you know, Ross could prove me wrong. He has been a great coach in the past. He could get them into the eight or he could pull off something amazing. But I just think it won't be the case personally. I know that um, you aren't the biggest Ross Lyon fan either. So I'm not expecting big things from your prediction when you get to that. Um, 13th, I'll do a double one here. I'll do 12th and 13th. I'm going to have 12th Port Adelaide, 13th Adelaide. I think it's going to be a competitive year for the two South Australian teams, just not in the part of the ladder that they'd probably want to be competing with each other. Um, so that's my picks for 12 and 13. 11th, we're going to see some improvement from the Bombers, um, which I think, you know, you'd be relatively content, I expect, with uh, my picking of 11th. Um, I think wow. that. <laughs> I think, you know, they're such a promising young team um, that I think we're going to see some improvement. I think they were probably somewhat unlucky to finish where they did last year. Um, and there was definitely a number of games that they could have probably won that they didn't in the end. Um, so with that being said, I think we'll see some improvement. Nothing drastic, though, that being said. Um, for 11th, I've got down uh, the Gold Coast. So again, modest improvement. Um, I just think that when it comes to the Gold Coast, um, sorry, I'm, I'm up to 10th now, by the way. Sorry, I had Essendon as 11th. Um, you had one um, job. Let's <laughs> had a prediction. Um, I think, you know, Gold Coast, uh, I mean, I think we're seeing slow and steady improvement from them. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they managed to maybe sneak into the eight. I think eighth position in my prediction is quite up for grabs. Um but I think, you know, Gold Coast are making the slow progress that um, I think for years we've been hoping we'd see, but it's obviously been quite back and forth. Um, but I think we'll continue to see, uh, you know, the positive improvement this year. Ninth, um, I've got the team that narrowly made it last year, and I think it'll be the opposite this time around. I think they're going to narrowly miss out, which is the Dogs. Um, you yeah. love to see it. <laughs> well I don't I, I mean but the reality is they were somewhat lucky to make it in last year I think obviously with the um, frantic and chaotic final uh, round 23 that we had they made it but I think this year they might just narrowly miss out and then squeaking them um, or sneaking them not squeaking sneaking them <laughs> to eight spot will be my beloved Collingwood so ironically my two teams battling it out for that final spot in the eight I think Obviously, we were incredibly lucky last year um, in many games. But I think McRae is such a good coach. He'll still find a way to get the best out of the players. I think we had a pretty good trade period as well, bringing in some key positions. Um, and even though it was a massive overachievement to go from 17th to the top four, um, I think if we were to make the eight this year, it'd be a pretty good uh, achievement because I think we're a couple of years ahead of where we expected to realistically be in this rebuild. Um, so I think making the eight would be a good achievement and I expect McRae to manage. Seventh place, I've got Fremantle. Um, obviously, they finished, I believe it was sixth last year or somewhere in that region. Yeah. Remember, they beat, they beat the dogs. Yes, they did. Um, I just, I don't know. There was something about Fremantle last year, although making fifth spot, which is obviously a good ladder position, I feel like they were very reliant on their home form. I feel like travelling into state, they were not overly um, convincing and Overall, I didn't find them overly convincing throughout the year. They had their games where they looked good, but they didn't seem to be consistent enough for me to make me think that they were true contenders. Um, 
And I mean, the Collingwood game against them is the one that springs to mind. They were really lackluster and probably lucky to only lose by what they did at the G that night. Um, sixth place, I've got Carlton. I just think we can't, they, they surely can't miss out again as much as I'd love to see it. They're, they're, they've got arguably the best forward line, arguably the best midfield in the game. Um, and I think, you know, they, 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 they can't miss out again. I think, you know, if they were to not make the eight again, I would probably have to just sit down and just laugh for a good couple of weeks at the sheer stupidity of that potential happening. Um, and fifth, which is probably one of my more surprising picks, I've got Melbourne to miss out on the top four. Obviously, Gordon Grundy is the massive talking point surrounding Melbourne. Um, but I, I found them largely underwhelming in the second half of 2022. And I looked at... Um, I looked at their form um, from back end of May. So if we're looking kind of roughly the second half of last year, and they only managed to win three out of nine matchups against fellow teams that finished in the top eight last year. So they managed to win three and lose six of nine games against top eight sides. Now, granted, there were some close ones in there against the likes of Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs, but they were really underwhelming back half of the year and obviously went out in straight sets essentially um, in the finals. So I think while they've still got an amazing team and I expect them to be a, a force, I just think that their form back half of last year doesn't convince me that they're maybe as strong as the teams I've got in my top four, which starts off with Richmond. I think they, they were much the opposite of a Collingwood last year. They had so many games that they could have won that they narrowly missed out, including how they went out in the finals. Um, and I just think that I'm expecting a bit of a resurgence from them this year, to be honest. I think they'll find their form. They'll find that um, winning touch that maybe they lost a little bit throughout last year. Um, in third, I'm expecting a follow-up of last year, Sydney. Um, so strong on their home stadium. And obviously when they travel interstate, they're relatively good. So I think that they'll manage a comfortable top four finish again. Second, I've got Brisbane. I think obviously a bit of an underwhelming year considering how good their squad is. Arguably, again, one of the best squads in the comp. Um, obviously a little bit of um, controversy surrounding the coach back end of last year and carrying into this year. Um, but the reality is Chris Fagan is arguably one of the best coaches uh, in the game. And I think that with the squad he's got, I expect them to bounce back this year. And then obviously the one team on the left is the reigning premiers who I just think they might be the senior citizens or as you like to call them, the daddy squad. But I think that, um, you know, with experience comes wisdom and with wisdom comes results. Um, the only thing that I think might threaten their ability to finish as high up the table as they did last year is, you know, losing their captain, um, who has been such an integral part of their team for the last, well, over a decade is going to be an adaption period. But I just think they've got so many natural leaders in that team to pick from that I think they'll manage quite comfortably, to be honest. I like it. I like it. Melbourne to miss out on the top four, even though they've got the Collingwood Jesus now playing for them in Brody Grundy. Um, and they looked dangerous during the preseason match uh, matches, especially against Richmond. That is a huge, huge call. Um, our bottom six is very, very similar. And I promise, dear listener, we did not consult each other before we made <laughs> these ladder predictions. But I'm starting off in 18th spot, uh, Greater Western Sydney Giants, I think. Such a poor season last year. Losing Taranto and Hopper on top of that. 
I expect this to be a rebuilding year. Not many uh, wins on the board during the season, unfortunately. 17th, I also have Hawthorne. Um, I think, look, yes, they did finish 13th last year. But with that being said, they were only two wins and like 5% ahead of 16th place Greater Western Sydney, which is absolutely nothing. Um, and you take out so many key core older players from that group. Omira now at Fremantle, Mitchell now at Collingwood, uh, Gunston now at Brisbane, one of their one of their stalwarts and one of their best forwards now gone. I think it's going to be a brutal year uh, for Sam Mitchell. 16th spot, I have West Coast. For a while, I thought it was injuries and COVID that was really affecting them, um, especially when they had to field a waffle team to play against North Melbourne. But then I realized that they're really not good, West Coast. Even when the players started coming back, they were still absolute dumpster fire. I mean, a a, a team that managed two wins, Casper, I think it's safe to say that they're not good. As much as I I don't mean to sound like an absolute prick to the West Coast fans who may be listening, but if your team's only going to win two games all year, you probably are shit. I mean, you probably do mean to sound like a prick to the West Coast fans listening. Um, He is a Collingwood supporter after all, dear listeners. Um, But yeah, North Melbourne, 15th. I think... I agree with you. The Kangaroos, they're coming off of such a low basis that, I mean, even even the great Paul Roos took years to mould Melbourne into the eventually into the premiership team they were under his successor. So I think it might take similarly a long time um, for North Melbourne. I think, you know, there'll be some great wins that will be cherished by North Melbourne supporters, but I think they'll be few and far between, and I think there will be some shocking losses. Um, I have St Kilda in 14th. Uh, because I uh, just copy what you said, basically. I don't look, they are a mediocre team at best, but they're excited that their best last year was when they were playing fast attacking football, everything that is the opposite of Ross Lyon and what he's about, which is very dour, low scoring. And I don't think he can replicate the success that he had the first time he was at St. Kilda because yes, he was a great coach, but don't forget they had arguably one of the best teams of the 21st century so far. Um, and I just don't think, I mean, look, maybe King can one day be like Nick Rewalt, but I mean, come on, tell me, look at their list and tell me that there is a Lenny Hayes or a Lee Montagna or a Sam Fisher somewhere in there. And I don't, I just don't see it. 13th spot, I've got the Western Bulldogs. Uh, this one might be a bit controversial. However, the way that I look at it is that they're heading into the season with four massive talls in their forward line, which, look, will help them against teams that are absolute garbage like North Melbourne or like Essendon or like Greater Western Sydney with small undersized defences. But what happens when the ball hits the deck? Are you telling me that the astronaut is going to be as good at ground level as he is in the air? What about Hugo Hagen? Will he be better in the air on the ground? He is decent on the ground, but I suspect he'll be even better in the air. Darcy, we don't know what he's going to be yet. But again, another tall tools don't tend to not do well on ground level. I think the ball's going to fly out of there. And the dog's midfield for as strong as it is for the last two years, ever since the grand final, has just been 
a real kind of pushover against some of the better teams in the competition. Um, you know, just remember that grand final, that third quarter when Melbourne just went bang, 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 bang. And they just kind of allowed Melbourne to walk out of there. And now you have one of their best midfielders playing for Brisbane. So if okay. anyone who thinks that the dogs are going to play finals football, um, I've, I've seen some predictions <laughs> in the dogs as high as fourth. Um, I think, I think if you think that you're, you're an idiot. I'm I'm sure you're taking great pleasure in putting the Bulldogs as low as you have put them. And I, I'm sure you also hope to see Cody Waitman have a very unsuccessful year as one of the few small forwards that the Dogs do have heading into 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. If the Dogs make top four, that will be proof that God doesn't exist. Um, on to 12th spot, I've got Essendon. Um I don't know what to expect from this year. I'm not expecting much. I'm expecting the, the only thing that I'm expecting is effort, week in, week out effort, which is why I'm not overreacting to the St. Kilda practice game like other Essendon supporters are. Like, yes, we kicked three goals, but we had 13 behinds or 14 behinds. Like, reverse that, we win that game easily. But looking at the stats, they were quite even, which shows to me that we put in a lot of effort in that game, except for the second quarter. Um, I think that there will be some small improvements for the Bombers. Um, but yeah, I think this year could be another long one for us, to be honest. And we could very well end up in the bottom four. Uh, 11th place, I've got Collingwood. As you said, the luckiest team in twenty. 23 and often the luckiest one year sorry 2022 the luckiest one year ends up the unluckiest the year after that I mean Port won so many close games in 2021 snuck into the top four let's be honest and then a year later they become one of the unluckiest teams in close games I suspect that it will be a year where the young playing list at Collingwood gets shown up a little bit and yes He's a great coach, Craig McRae, but now the competition has had a season of him coaching to learn from. And so you better believe that there will be teams putting in systems to stop that Collingwood tsunami. Tenth uh, place, I've got the Crows. Wouldn't be surprised if they played finals football. I like what, they, I like what they're about. I really like their youngsters. Um, just the gap between their best and their worst still a bit too wide for me. Uh, and in ninth spot, oh, I would love for this to happen. I don't know whether or not I believe this is going to happen, but Carlton will finish ninth again. Um, look, Carlton fans, I can hear what you're saying. I can hear what you're saying. What? How can that be? We've got Patrick Kreps. We've got, we've got you know, a great midfield. We've got Chera. We've got Walsh when he's back from injury. We've got the two best, arguably the two best uh, forward duo in the competition, maybe second to Hawkins and Cameron, but such a dominant spine. How on earth can we miss finals again? And it is pure and simple down to two points. Number one, I think that your list is actually very shallow. How do I know this? Because you should have seen them play against the Sydney Swans without Patrick Cripps. They were terrible. And I know they're playing against the Sydney Swans with Buddy Franklin kicking freakish goals from the boundary line, but seriously, absolutely terrible. Number two, I forgot what the second point was. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're the Carlton Football Club. You always get in your way. Have been doing so since the 2001 season. 
ended. Seriously, it has been 20, now heading into 2023, 21 years of abject failure. And you're telling me that that's going to change? Think about it, right? Yes, you've only just missed out on the finals last year, but you won games early in the year that you shouldn't have won. You're up by 50 points against Port and you nearly lost. You're up by 50 points against Hawthorne and you nearly lost. You're up by 50 points against Sydney and you nearly lost. This is the Carlton way to put themselves in a position where they can challenge and then to choke it away. And until I am proven otherwise, I have seen nothing that will convince me that that won't happen again. And in eighth spot, the Western Bulldogs of 2023 will be, drum roll please, finally, the Gold Coast Suns. The sun will rise on the Gold Coast. Finally, they will play finals football for the first time in their history. Um, but I do think that they'll only just sneak in. My justification is this. They were 10 and 12 last year. And if they fell off a little bit the final five weeks, but they were right up there in the finals contention. And if they had beaten Collingwood and Port Adelaide, they lost both games by under a goal, could have easily gone the other way. They would have finished equal eighth on the ladder in terms of wins. That is with their best forward in King being out the entire season. And now he's back. And I'm so excited to see that forward line with King, Casbolt, and Chol. I don't know how they're going to fit them all in there. Maybe you have one on the bench and you'll have two in the forward line and rotate. I don't know. You could put Joel in the ruck, but it's going to be really exciting. I'm so excited for this season for the Gold Coast Suns. In seventh spot, I've got Port Adelaide. I think they're too talented. I think Ken Hinckley is too good of a coach. I think their pickups in the trade period are too talented for them to miss out on finals again. Um, and pressure is on Ken Hinckley, which we'll get to later. But I think Port Adelaide will play finals football again. Who will they play? This is a bit of a surprise. If Melbourne missing out on the top four with a big four from you, I think Geelong will finish sixth. I think Joel Selwood is a huge loss. I can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Jason Dunstall, but he said that it is a massive loss that is being understated. Um, but I think as well, it's really difficult to have a dominant season again, like they had in 2022, again in 2023. I mean, look at Melbourne, for crying out loud. They started the year 10-0. and 0. People talking about a, a season without a, without a loss. And then they went 6-6 six and six for the rest of the home and away season and straight set elimination for, uh, elimination from the finals. So for me, <laughs> I think I think Geelong are set to fall this year, but not too far. They'll still get to host the final at the MCG and we get to hear cat supporters complain. I mean, it is funny though, Casper. It feels like every year you, you put Geelong to have an underwhelming year and they seem to, every year, prove you wrong. It's just that, unfortunately for you, last year they managed to go the whole way. It's going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. If I keep tipping it, it's going to happen eventually. Okay. And in fifth spot, fifth and fourth for us are swapped. I've put the Tigers at fifth. Just because I think, yes, they had a great pickup in Toronto and in Hopper, great pickups, but their, their older players are only getting older and I think they're only getting slower and I don't think they're getting any better. There are some things that age really well, like fine wine or blue cheese, for example, but uh, Richmond are instead like uh, a carton of milk that's been left out of the fridge for too long. It's still, like, at the moment, it's still drinkable. But if it's left out for too much longer, you run the risk of, you know, picking up some kind of horrible disease from it. 
Um, I'm still tipping them fifth. Wouldn't be surprised if they made the grand final. Also, wouldn't be surprised if they lose an elimination final, eliminated first week of the finals again. I will say this though: Damian Barrett said that he doesn't even trust them to make finals this year, which is absolutely mind-boggling. Into fourth, uh, I've got the Melbourne Football Club. I think if they can fix the injury problems that they had last year, if they can fix the unity problem that they had, there's no reason why they won't be lifting the Premiership Cup. I don't trust them to 100% do that, but Gorn and Grundy or Braun or Gundy, as they've been called, uh, just terrible ship names. Um, I I think that they're, they're too talented to miss out on the top four. Um, they're going to make top four this year, challenge for the flag. The Sydney Swans are third. I think they're too good. Their youngsters are too good to miss out. I think Logan McDonald will come back breathing fire this year. And you're right, the SCG is too strong. And actually, sorry, the Swans travel very, very well for your information. And uh, uh, they play Collingwood at the MCG for the first time in 10 years. So you finally get to shut Collingwood fans up when we beat them in round seven. Looking forward to that. Fremantle into second. This is a big call. This is a big call. But I just think of how exciting the Dockers were last year. And yeah, sure, they had bad losses. But everyone has bad losses, right? I think losing to Collingwood at the MCG in the semifinal was the best thing that could have happened to them. Because it showed them what finals pressure was about. It showed them what was required of them to win finals football. And I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna, I they could make the grand final, which we'll get to in a second. But number one, the clear favorite, Brisbane. I don't know how anyone couldn't look at their pickups, couldn't look at their new captains. Finally, that pest Zorko is no longer their captain. Happy days. Now I won't feel bad if they win the Premiership Cup. I won't see him lifting up the Premiership Cup on the uh, on the dais. Happy days. Um, but I don't know how anyone could look at their Premiership, their preseason matches against Sydney and Geelong and saw how they dominated both fellow Premiership contenders and think anything other than they are the best team in the competition. If, if you don't think that Brisbane are the best team in the competition, you need your head examined and possibly lobotomized. But more importantly, I want to hear, Liam, what is your grand final tip? Um, well, I think, obviously, I spoke very highly of um, Richmond to make the four. Um, so I've actually got them to make the grand final um, alongside the reigning premiers. I know, obviously, you spoke about Geelong's potential demise and Dunstall does make a good point about Selwood, but... Like I said, I think they've got those natural-born leaders in the team who have been around, um, you know, long-term. You know, like, you know, you've got Hawkins and Dangerfield and Stewart. And I, I could go on for probably another half hour about all the senior citizens that play in that team that have got the, you know, potential to lead them to great things. But um, I, I think that Geelong will have enough at least this year as well to make the grand final alongside Richmond. I like it. I like it. I am going for, and this is arguably my biggest call so far. I know it's a big thing to say considering I took the dogs to finish in the bottom six. However, I think for the fourth time in history and the first time since those Swans Eagles classics in 05 and 06, it will be an all non-Victorian grand final, which means for the first time since 2018, the Premiership Cup will leave these 
Fairlands here in Victoria. And it will be Brisbane versus Fremantle in the grand final. And I am tipping the Brisbane Lions to win. I think they are way too good. The only possible way that they don't win the premiership this year is A, if they get in their own way, or if the racism investigation gets in their way instead. Now, let's get on to the main talking points heading into this season. Um, oh, before we get to that, sorry, individual awards. We'll quickly run through them. Rising Star, who do you think? I'm going to go with um, actually the bookie's favourite, but also one that I'm very happy if it were to be the case. I'm going to go for Sam Darcy at the Dogs. I think he only played four years last year, and you made a good point that, um, you know, it's somewhat an unknown entity with him. But I think the four games he did play last year, he looked really good. Um, and I think that he'll be given a more consistent spot in the Dogs team this year. And he'll be able to be a rising star for 2023. Literally, because it's going to be constantly flying for marks, right? Um, I think Will Ashcroft, I don't know, like just watch his highlights against Geelong. He looked amazing. Um, Norm Smith. Uh, obviously, having picked Geelong and Richmond, um, a bit of an insight into who I think would win. Uh, I've gone for Tom Stewart. I think he did obviously come up against likely Lynch or Rewalt in the uh, Richmond forward line, and I think he'd be able to lock one of them down, keep them to probably one or two goals, and then also help um, keep Richmond to quite a low score. So I'd go with Tom Stewart for the Norm Smith. I'm going Harris Andrews to exploit the one docker... Um... Uh, the one Fremantle weak spot that I think could prove their downfall on grand final day, which is their forward line. I think Harris Andrews have a field day and become the first defender, lest I'm mistaken, to win the Norm Smith since Brian Lake kept uh, Pavlich really quiet in 2013. Um, I reckon there's the potential that we just maybe, just maybe we'll pick the same player here. Although, I also wouldn't be surprised, actually, now thinking about it, if there was someone else I could have picked. But I'm going to go with Lockie Neal. We both spoke very highly of Brisbane. Um, and I think that, uh, obviously, he won the 2020 Brownlow. They've had a interesting 2022 um, Brisbane, I think, would be the way to phrase it. And I think, obviously, I've got them finishing second this year. I think they're going to have a great year. And I think Lockie Neal will be key to that. But you obviously spoke very highly of the Gorn and Grundy combination. I think if that does work as well as people are expecting, I think Clayton Oliver is definitely another option to throw in the mix. The The problem with both of those is that their teams are so stacked with midfield talent. And it's, it is a midfielder's award. It hasn't been won by someone who, who wasn't a midfielder, I think, since Goodsey in 2006 when he won it as a Ruffman. But... The thing is, is that when you have a team that is stacked with midfielders, they often share the Brownlow votes between them. So I suspect that it will be won by a team that is good enough to make the finals, but not good enough that it's going to be an even spread of votes throughout the team. And that is why I am sticking with for the third season in a row. And it's going to happen this year. I've missed out narrowly on this guy winning and I'm going to die on this hill until I'm proven otherwise on Brownlow night in September. Took Miller. It is time for Took to win the Brownlow medal. Umpires, don't let me down. I think that some, like, you don't have to make finals to win the Brownlow, but it helps. I mean, Ablett won the Brownlow at the Suns when the Suns were terrible. But I think with how good the Suns are going to be, with how strong the Suns are going to be, 
It's just a matter of time before Tuck Miller wins the Brownlow. It's going to happen this year. Watch this space. Uh, we've done the Brownlow, did that. Oh, Coleman, of course. Well, so this is a, a little bit of a shock, I think, to you. But I think this year will be a injury-free and successful year for Joe Danaher to win the Brownlow. Uh, the Brownlow. I, I think that would be it's an achievement, but wow. no, the Coleman. Wow. <laughs> to I win the Coleman. Time of forward won a Brownlow. Goodness. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, I think he'll win the Coleman. I think, obviously, the only threat, I think, to that is that Brisbane have such a stacked forward line with so many potential goal kickers like... Um, you know, you could throw Cameron in there among a few others. And there's definitely a lot of potential for the goals to be shared around, which I think is typically what Brisbane have done over the last number of years. But I think if Joe Danaher can stay injury-free um, and with how successful I'm expecting Brisbane to be, I think there's a, a really good chance that he could be kicking well in excess of 50 goals and getting himself a Coleman. But um, how about you, Casper? Thank you for talking long enough so that I can go and water my plant. It's looking a little bit sad. Um, I think, truthfully, it is set up for, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I cannot stand him, but I'm going with Jeremy Cameron. This year is set up for him to absolutely dominate, and I think as Hawkins gets older, gets slower, gets not as good, it's only going to open up for Cameron even more. So, yeah, the year of Jezza. May God help us all. Now... On to the main talking points heading into this season. We touched upon the racism allegations at Hawthorne, affecting three different clubs, obviously Hawthorne, North Melbourne with Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan. But I want to ask you, how do you think it's going to end? Because it's dragged on since September last year, and now we're only a few days out from the new season starting. And I also want to ask you, will this negatively impact all three clubs. And obviously I asked that question fully understanding that if the allegations are true, the true victims are obviously the players, the wider Indigenous community and the players' families as well. Obviously, I think that goes without saying. But with that being said, obviously clubs would be negatively impacted. So I want to ask your opinion on that. Yeah, I think no matter what, this is going to get messy. I think in some ways, it's actually bad for the three clubs involved that this wasn't sorted before the season. I think, obviously, the investigation is, you know, happening and we can obviously find out a lot of things this year. But I think it would have been a lot better for all clubs involved if things had come out before the season. So that it would be somewhat, um, you know, not overlapping and it would have allowed a bit of a, you know, season without too much controversy surrounding them. But... I think it's hard to be sure what's going to happen. Obviously, we don't know what the results of the investigation are going to be, but I think that no matter what, it is going to get messy for all three involved. And somewhat surprisingly, I think Hawthorne's probably the one who's actually going to cop the least of it, just because um, as much as obviously the club itself will be held accountable, um, the two potential key figures in Fagan and Clarkson are no longer there, who are probably going to be the two that cop at the worst, which means that um, Brisbane and North Melbourne are the two that could be implicated the worst or at least their coaching staff um, could be but I think no matter what Hawthorne are going to cop uh, a lot of slack as well just because they are the club that were obviously behind it all but um, it, it's hard to be sure what's going to happen I just think no matter what it's going to get messy Who do you think this is going to impact more Hawthorne, North Melbourne or Brisbane? I think based off the fact that Clarkson is the coach at North Melbourne and is the person who could 
obviously um, see the harshest, you know, criticism and who knows what will actually happen to him. It could be North Melbourne that cops the absolute worst end of the stick because if Clarkson gets some kind of ban or if something happens that implicates him, um, North Melbourne are the team that stand to, I I think, to, you know, lose the most, really, in a year that's meant to be a year of, you know, rebuilding and positivity surrounding the club. It could turn south really quickly. I agree, but because I like to be an individual and different, I'm going to say the Brisbane Lions purely because I said that one of the two things that could stop them from winning the Premiership is the racism allegations. If, if, and I want to stress this is all hypothetical, so if any lawyers representing any of these people or any of these clubs listening, it's entirely hypothetical, okay, please don't sue us. But if Chris Fagan, as a result, is removed from the head coaching position at the Brisbane Lions, given a ban from coaching or whatever, I cannot stress how big that will impact the club. Because, yes, you've got the players, you've got the brawn, but he's the brains of the operation, right? He's the one that I think won them those two finals last year. And if he is out, I think that that's it. Brisbane, no chance to win the premiership. That's how integral he is. With him, they win their premiership favourites without not a hope. And if they do win, then without him, it will be the greatest, I think, adversity that a club's ever come to win a premiership, possibly in football history. It's interesting, but kind of taking the complete opposite ends of this spectrum where you're looking at how it could affect the high hopes for Brisbane in terms of achieving big things this year. And I've taken the opposite end of the stick in terms of this is meant to be a positive rebuild year at North Melbourne. So you're looking at the effect at the top and I'm looking at the effect at the bottom. So very interesting contrast. Indeed. I mean, look, right, probably long term, it would impact North Melbourne more. But I think in the short, immediate 2023 term, it will be the Brisbane Lions Football Club, whatever happens, it is sure to be a very, very, very uh, ugly end to this saga whenever whenever it happens. Um, we touched on the Gorn and Grundy combination or the uh, the the Gundy, the Gundy <laughs> rock combo. Man, they looked amazing against Richmond. I want to ask, are they unstoppable? Who's better? Surely they're the best rock combination in the competition, surely. Yeah, I think there's no debating that's the best combo in the comp. I mean, you've got arguably the two best ruckmen in the comp (laughs) of the last kind of, you know, four to five years, if you wanted to, you know, say which two have been the most dominant when they're both playing at their best. So it's, it's undeniable that they've got the best ruck combination in the game. I just think it's going to be really hard to manage it, I think, is going to be the thing, because you are dealing with arguably the two best ruckmen, and I think with that comes a lot of difficulty in terms of how you're going to, you know, fit them both into the team, how you're going to ensure that they're both utilised to their full ability. And I think what we saw in preseason was Gorn heading into the forward line a lot, at least when Grundy was on the field. And I think that is a good option. We know that Gorn can be effective in the forward line. I think he's also good in defence when he shifts back. So I think Gorn is probably the more likely of the two to spend minutes outside of the ruck. Um, I think Grundy will probably spend more time um, on the bench when he isn't in the rucks because I don't think he's as versatile as Gorn. Um, But I just think 
it, it, there will definitely be games that they dominate and the teams just can't manage against them because having those two shifting into the ruck is just going to be unstoppable realistically in certain games. But I think also managing them and keeping them both in form is going to be the challenge for Goodwin. So um, guess ultimately I think they will be somewhat unstoppable, but not to the degree that some people are, I think, uh, predicting. The only thing with Grundy is his injuries, right? If he can have an injury-free year, Melbourne could possibly make the grand final and possibly win it. If he gets injured, I think that will expose Gorn a bit because watching him live last year, I watched him against Collingwood in round 21. That was a great game. Um, he can get out-muscled for someone that big in rut contests. So I think his work around the ground, if he is in the forward line, I think is really dangerous. But other than that, I think he can be out-muscled really easily. And I think his field kicking is actually pretty average. So the thing is, I wouldn't be relying on him if I'm a Melbourne supporter. With that being said, they're easily the best rock combination in the competition. You might hear my neighbours outside. I do apologise. The door is pretty thin. Um, and I think I'm gobsmacked that Collingwood let, let Grundy go. Like, seriously, I told you that it was a massive risk years ago, and you argued with me on this, to sign him up to that massive seven-year, however long it was, contract. And then they let him go for absolute peanuts. What? Who do you have left? Cameron and Cox. Oh, wow. I'm so scared as an opposition supporter to come up against Cameron and Cox Villa. Goodness gracious me, the former swan and the giant American. I am absolutely shaking in my boots. I can't believe that Collingwood let them go. The best Ruckman, you have, and you're keeping Mason Cox. Are you kidding me? I, I, I think, look, I'm not going to get into this too much because this isn't about calling, but this is about the ruck combination. But ultimately, I think McRae made that decision with the long term future of Collingwood in mind, trying to free up some salary space because Grundy obviously was taking up a huge chunk. Geez, I wonder whose fault that was. <laughs> not, now, not McRae. <laughs> no. On to talking about, I think the coach under the most pressure, Port Adelaide, I want to ask you, will Penn Hinckley last the year? Uh, I think that's unlikely, to be honest. Um, I just think that, you know, with the situation at um, Port Adelaide, we've both got them not making the eight. I think that, um, yeah, realistically, it's just, I, I can't see him making it out. Just hang on, just a sec. Sorry, Casper. What? No, that's okay. I'll just ad-lib for a little bit. Here, I think I'll answer the question first. Poor Adelaide. <laughs> See, dear listeners, this is what happens when it is an amateur amateur podcast. But you know what? We appreciate you listening anyway. Thank you very much. I think, for me, Port Adelaide, if they don't make finals, I can't see how Ken Hinckley lasts a year. It is extremely rare for a coach to last as long as Ken has without making a grand final. I mean, the longest, I think, what, Neil Danaher as coach in Melbourne coached 200 or so odd games, and it was the longest that a coach had coached without winning a premiership, but he made the grand final. So at least he had that in his corner. What does Ken Hinckley have? What, a couple of narrow a narrow prelim, prelim losses? Oh, wow. That's amazing. He should be coached for the next 20 years. No, if they don't make finals, he doesn't last a year. 
It is pure and simple as that. If they make finals, I think it is entirely dependent on whether or not they win one. If they win one, I think that buys him another year. If they lose, especially if they lose badly, I think he's gone. I think he'll go the way of Steve, uh, Steve Thomas, Grant Thomas, and he will leave. Uh, he'll be kicked out. Because it cannot be easy having Koshi as your club's president. It'd be a little bit like having Eddie McGuire or Jeff Kennett as your club president. Wow, amazing. All these men who I don't like being club presidents. Huh? There you go. But anyway. I was going to say, with, with how good Koshi manages businesses, you'd think he could manage Port Adelaide a bit better. Ouch. Shots fired. Koshi, <laughs> don't expect him to respond on that morning talk show he hosts. <laughs> But no, no, I, I agree. I think it's as simple as if Port Adelaide don't make the eight, realistically, Hinkley won't stay in the job. I think, um, yeah, I think I think Port Adelaide have a good enough team that with the right coach behind them, they could be a top eight contender. But I don't think that realistically, um, Hinkley will make the year out because neither of us have them making the eight. So I think he'll be gone. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Now, on to Tasmania, this is kind of dragged on a little bit, waiting for federal funding. The government has said, yes, there will be federal funding, but now there are conditions to it. Blah, blah, blah. I want to ask you, will Tasmania finally get the green light to have a team in the competition? And if so, when the Premier wants it to be 2027, but that's now only four years away, it's going to take a little bit longer than that to set up a football club, surely. I mean, look at the Gold Coast Suns. They were set up within three years and on the field, and they were absolute dumpster fire for the first, like, 10 years of it. Um, but I want to ask you, what happens with Tazzy? I think this year it is going to be given the green light. I think McLaughlin has said recently that it's conditional, um, which, okay, yes, it means that there's things that are going to have to happen before it goes ahead. But that, to me, says it's going to be given the green light because conditional is yes, with a few things needing to happen. Um, so I, I think it will be given the green light. But as you said, obviously, it's going to take a lot of time to set things up. But um, there's a lot of positivity coming, I think, from the sound of it, that it is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But I think 2023, we've still got, you know, almost nine months left of the year. Or in fact, we've got more than nine months. So I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to happen. There's time. The Tasmanian Football Club pregnancy will come to fruition this year for Tasmania. Um, now we get onto a segment that I am very much, very much looking forward to, and that is silly predictions, funny predictions, outlandish predictions. And we'll start off with you, Liam. What is your, you know what? We originally said one, but I reckon we've got time to go two. What is your two? outlandish predictions for the season well i hadn't prepared a second so i might throw to you and then have a little think but i mean my first outlandish prediction was actually my coleman pick which was danaher i think because obviously of the lines forward line i think it is somewhat bold to call danaher a coleman medalist just because of the fact that there is going to be goals shared around a lot in that forward line but I think, like I said, it's a bit of an outlandish one. I think that they're going to be a very dominant team this year. And I think that Danaher staying injury-free could definitely be a force to be reckoned with. So that was my first. But how about yourself? I like it. I like it. I think that my outlandish prediction will be that both Chad Warner and Golden will finish inside the top 10 on Brownlow night come September. I think Chad Warner 
is very quickly becoming the Sydney Swans' best player. They're becoming his barometer, their barometer. But I mean, Gordon had like forty-five touches in the pre in the preseason match. Yeah, it's the preseason match, but you don't ignore forty-five touches. Like that's unbelievable. It's amazing he didn't get sent to the freaking hospital in Western Sydney for leather poisoning. He was touching the footy so much. So yeah, that's my outlandish prediction number one. I think Gordon and the Chad at the Chadster, as he's being called, will eventually be inside the top 10 come Brownlow night. And I will add a 1.8 to this and say that Chad Warner will be a top five Brownlow finish this season. The second outlandish prediction is probably the fact that the dogs are finishing inside the bottom six. Look, I'll be honest with you. I don't 100% buy it myself, but we already talked about that overtly tall forward line. Their midfield that on paper is really strong, but in actuality can only beat up on what the really bad teams in the competition really struggle against the really good teams in the competition. It's a really tough start to the season fixture-wise for them. And I think they could very well, if they don't beat the Saints in round two, they could end start the season 0-6. And only once had a team gone 0-6 and, and made finals after that. And that, of course, being the amazing Sydney Swans in 2017. That's how rare it is. This competition has been going since 1897 and it's happened once. So, yeah, I think a slow start, overtly tall forward line, lack of midfield depth, and really their defense, which is pretty poor. Let's be honest, right? What you got Jones back. Congratulations. What do you do? Give them premiership medallions already. I think that's why the dogs will sink this year. Have you had enough time to think of a Second outlandish tip. Yeah, but I've, I've kind of, like yourself there, picking it off based off your ladder, I think it was my prediction that Melbourne will miss the top four, given um, the talking points such as Grundy and Gorn. I think for me to pick them outside the top four is an outlandish prediction. But like I said, I think it's going to be a year of somewhat um, challenges. I think you'll watch a lot of other sports, and I, this is what kind of gives me this idea. And I think often having an influx of talent, especially in similar pres- positions um is a challenge to manage and i think that that could be the the issue for goodwin is that he has almost too much talent in that ruck position that it could somewhat at certain times of the season become more of a challenge than a, a positive for melbourne which is why i think they've still got a good enough team quality wise it's almost impossible for them to completely you know go down cr- crashing and burning but i just think that it at times will be a challenge and it will ultimately mean that they will miss out on the top four Mate, just quickly before we go, which round one game are you most looking forward to and why? Try not to be biased. <laughs> um, well, look, it could be viewed as biased because obviously Collingwood is the team I support. But if I'm going to talk about the game I'm most excited to watch, it's my own team playing. And I think it also has massive interest in it in the sense that I think Collingwood and Geelong are very much unknown entities heading into this year. We've both got them in wildly different situations. I've got them, you know, finishing top of the ladder again. You've got them missing the four completely. I've got Collingwood sneaking into the eight. You've got them missing again. So it's like, this could be a game that could see two teams who are going to be a real threat this year, or it could be a game that's largely underwhelming and sees two teams who are on the, you know, a downwards trend based off last year. So I think getting to see them both play against each other will be interesting to see how, potentially dominant Geelong might be or how competitive Collingwood might be. 
I like it. I like it. Um, I, I'll say I'm looking forward to it only if Collingwood are guaranteed a heartbreaking loss again. That was really, really fun watching them lose that qualifying final and the Ram Creek clash last year. Um, I am going to say, because I, I did ask you to be unbiased and then you went ahead and be biased, but, you know, that's okay. I'll, I'll bring the unbiased to this, to this episode and say Richmond and Carlton for years. First few years that this fixture was out, the Blues were great and the Tigers were terrible. Then it was the Tigers being awesome and the Blues being terrible. And finally, we have two teams that on paper, I know I said Carlton won the finals, but on paper should play finals football this year, kicking off the season. It should be massive. I would not be surprised if more than 80,000 people show up. In fact, I'll be disappointed if there are less than 80,000 people at the MCG, two of the biggest clubs in Melbourne reigniting the rivalry once again, two clubs that should be playing final football could meet in September come the end of the year. I'm so looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an epic clash, but dear listener, you'll have to wait until the next episode comes out to hear our round one predictions in full until then. Thank you very much, Liam, for joining. I would wish you well for Friday night, but I'm not going to do that. So instead, I'll say good luck against Melbourne for the Bulldogs. <laughs> Thanks for joining. No problem. It's always good to, uh, you know, predict things that will probably ultimately in six to seven months' time look like absolute, you know, I'm sure idiotic picks. But it's been fun nonetheless. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned. Round one predictions are coming out mid-next week before the season starts off on Thursday Night Football between the Tigers and the Blues. Should be epic. All the best for your team, whoever your team is, unless it's Hawthorne, and I wish you well. Until then, sign off.